I am in an airplane, a stolen airplane, by the way, which we thought was, I don't know, somebody thought that was a good idea with two South American drug dealers. We were returning the plane because of a debt. We're flying across the country. Somehow there's a freak electrical storm. All the instrument panels go out. We run out of gas and we're falling from the sky. And somewhere between falling from the sky and hitting the ground, I meet Jesus. Welcome to the Adorned Women Podcast. Our goal is to inspire you with new stories each week, featuring women of faith from all over the world and all walks of life. Through weekly discussions with each sister in Christ, we hope to give you a glimpse into who they are and how their lives have been transformed by the gospel. We're all in this journey together, so let's be inspired together. Hello, Adorned Women. Welcome back to the Adorned Women podcast. I'm your host, Alicia, and this week's guest is someone I'm super excited to introduce you to. Her name is Julie Shecker, and she is an international speaker, author, life strategy consultant, and the executive pastor of the Movement Church in Southern California. Um, She also champions something called the Now Women's Leadership Summit, which I'll let her tell you about that because she does a fantastic job of explaining it, and I'm sure I would not do it justice, but all of that sounds incredible, and it is. But I love what she puts on the front page of her website. She advertises this, that she is also divorced and single mom by the age of 20, two-time college dropout, former alcoholic, former drug dealer, and living proof that there really is no lost cause. I'm sure you can tell from that that Julie has quite the story. And let me tell you, I love every story that I hear. I love every conversation I have for this podcast, just hearing all these different perspectives, all these women's stories, and who God has shown himself to be, um, how he has moved in people's lives. But there is something about Julie's conversation. She didn't overdo it. She didn't exaggerate it. It was it was a pretty, it was honestly a little casual for <laughs> the crazy story that it is. But it was so uplifting to hear her story and to hear her share from her current um, everyday life. It was uplifting. And I I don't use that word as a filler. I use it as something that describes exactly how I was feeling as I listened. Just lifted up and moved to suddenly wonder why I would ever want to do anything other than what God has for me. You know, why would I ever want to try and seek after my own will when God is clearly capable of so much more than I could even imagine. And so I hope that as you listen today that you're open to what God might have for you through this conversation, what God might speak to you through this conversation. After today's conversation, if you're curious to know more about Julie, I will include some links in the description to her book and to her website, and you can definitely go check those out. But for now, sit back and I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the Adorned Women podcast. We're so excited to have you on today. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Can you introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners? Just share some context about where you're at and what you're doing right now. Sure. So my name is Julie Shecker, um, and it's an interesting last name, Shecker, my, <laughs> um, so, but I'll answer to however you decide to pronounce it. Um, so I am currently the executive pastor of the Movement Church in San Marcos, California. I've always, I'm a Cal- Southern California girl, 
And I handle both business and the chief of staff role in the church. We're about a probably a medium-sized church, maybe about a thousand people now post-COVID. And that's one of my roles. That's my full-time vocational role. Been in that position vocationally for about eight years. Before that, I was a businesswoman and definitely um, love the marketplace. So vocational ministry has been a new thing, though. I have always held a full-time ministry position, just not vocationally. And I also, I'm a professional, I'm a certified professional leadership coach. And right now the passion, well, the passion of my life as far as ministry is concerned is I have something called the Now Women's Leadership Summit, which is a team of women who travel around the world to areas where women are traditionally oppressed and persecuted. And we do women's leadership events and activation and consultation with church leaders and civic leaders about how they can best steward their leadership gifts and the women that are in their community. So that is like the beat of my heart right now. And then personally, I'm married to Mr. Shecker for 37 years, and I have three grown children who are all married and have decided in the last four years to give me seven grandchildren. <laughs> so that's seven in four years. And the num- the seventh literally just got here two weeks ago. So I am, I love my Nana role in the season and the surprise, I think, of the season for me is how much I really love parenting my adult children and how the surprise of that has really touched my heart as I've, as I've kind of learned to maneuver and navigate, you know, now that they're out of the house and they're married and they're grown men, we have two boys and one girl, and they're all grown and they're husbands and wives and mommies and daddies. But I just have loved the way the Lord has um, has given me the wisdom to be able to continue to be a rich part of their lives in a way that is supportive and honoring of who they are as adults. And so that's been a surprise. One day, I don't know, maybe I'll write a book on that, but that has been the surprise of my my world these days. So I am enjoying being Nana and then also very busy. <laughs> I have a large capacity, so I like doing multiple things. And I just put out a book last year that I'm super excited about. And um, this year we're getting ready to finalize the all the last minute details for what we call the Now Summit team, which is now becoming its own um, nonprofit. And there's a launch in about a month that um, that's going to really take it uh, to the next level of growth. And we'll see what happens with that. Wow, that is a lot. Congratulations on the grandchild. Yeah. And oh, thank you. And thank wow, you. I... You know, I would love to hear uh, probably towards the end, just because you have an amazing story that I want to get to. But at the end of our interview, I'd love to ask more about some of the things you've seen and things you've heard from your work with women um, in those other cultures you talked about with the Leadership Summit. That is That sounds super interesting. But yes. before we get to that, I want to ask about your story because I know you have an incredible one. Like you said, you put a book out Um So could you just dive in wherever you want to start and share with our listeners some of the things that God has used to get you where you are today? Sure. It's quite a, quite a story. And as I've said, it's kind of like the, it's, it's like an interesting movie. So I was not raised in a Christian home. 
I am 60 years old this year, proud to say it, still rolling strong. I, I consider myself what I like to call the varsity team right now, where the varsity team were so necessary. And so, but I was not raised in a Christian home. In fact, I was not raised in a home that was healthy at all. At all. I, I feel like I, I often say it when people ask me to describe my upbringing, I just say it's like an alphabet soup. If if there's like an adult child alcoholic, a abuse survivor, like I'm all the acronyms, I'm all the alphabet. And so I hit my young adult life having a circle of friends, a part of my circle of friends being the kids who were Christian didn't quite know what to do with me, but I was I was what you would call a good kid. I was going to, I was living in Los Angeles. I'm a first generation Hispanic. My dad was the leader of uh, the gang in our neighborhood. And, and so I was raised around a lot of the things that come with being raised in a gang environment. And there was a lot of hostility, violence, abuse, all of that, you name it. And, and without a knowledge of, of the Lord, uh, of a savior, but I was determined to be a very good kid. But I hit high school and things started to go sideways in a lot of different ways. And I found myself very quickly, um, I guess I'd like to say my my previous bio would be by the age of 22, I was a two-time college dropout, divorced, single mom, living with a man who was not my baby daddy. He was a violent, abusive, cocaine-addicted South American drug dealer. I could not get through the day without alcohol. And this is where my story with the Lord, I, I don't know if it begins, but it definitely, um, there was definitely a catalytic moment because I had had this circle of friends in high school who had told me about the Lord. And, and I was that friend that drove you all crazy. I'm like, whatever, I'm fine. I'm a great person. But I, I very quickly spiraled into this world of drug trafficking and, and, I was very lost. And by that time, I had a two, three-year-old child. I was dragging around, and this relationship was violent and abusive, and I was stuck, and I couldn't get out. And this is back in the 80s. You could not. There was no phones. There was no internet. There was, you better have a quarter if you needed to make a phone call. There was, you know, there was, there wasn't the help that there is today. So at some point, I am in an airplane, a stolen airplane, by the way, which we thought was I don't know. Somebody thought that was a good idea with two South American drug dealers. We were returning the plane because of a debt. We're flying across the country and our plane, some, somehow there's a freak electrical storm. All the instrument panels go out. We run out of gas and we're falling from the sky and somewhere between falling from the sky and hitting the ground. I meet Jesus. All the things that had been shared with me by these friends that I had had and people that I had had throughout the years begin to come back. And I am bargaining with God because I'm thinking people don't fall from the sky in an airplane and (laughs) we are surely dying. We are literally falling from the sky. And I begin to have a conversation with God and the the God that I knew at that time. And and it kind of went like this, okay, God, if you let me live, I, and I don't have my son with me, so I'll be a good mom, I'll stop, you know, I'll give you all the drug money, you know, I don't know, (laughs) God, I'll be a good person. And I'm, I'm starting to bargain, and it felt, I know it wasn't a long time, but it felt like a long time. And at some point, as I'm just, in, in the best way that I could, praying to God, just, please, I don't, I don't want to die. I just remember the most incredible 
peace coming over me. And I remember thinking at that moment that I'll, I remember saying out loud, okay, I actually don't care if I die. The only thing that's important to me is I want to be with you. Please, I want to be with you. And that was the moment of the true salvation of my soul where I I believe now, in the words that I now know as a pastor and Bible teacher, that I truly gave up like I gave, I gave and I surrendered to Jesus. I truly gave in to the Lord. And I said, this is whatever you want to do with my life. And I mean to tell you at that moment, the most incredible peace comes over me in the midst of this falling airplane. And I am just like, this is great. And I only knew two or three songs from when my friends used to drive me to church. And I literally begin singing these old hymns, you know, he walks with me and he talks with me and I, I've got peace like a river, right? And the pilots are screaming at me and swearing and cussing. And, and I'm just like, I'm going to heaven. And that's all that matters. But at some point, I sense, I hear, I, I feel like I heard the Lord say, Julie, you need to fight back. When the plane hits you, hit it back. And I just think, oh my gosh, there's there's a possibility that could make it, I could live. And so I grab some jackets and I, I hunker down in this plane. I put my feet up on the seat in front of me and we hit the ground and crash. And in, in a second, I I think, oh my gosh, the plane is dark. It's nighttime. We're in a swampland in northern Florida, and 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 I'm thinking I'm alive, and and it's smoky, but I'm stuck. My foot is stuck. I can't get out of my seatbelt. Now there's no one else on the plane but two pilots and myself. And all of a sudden, I feel someone just pull my seatbelt and literally pull my shoe out of my feet. And I'm on the, the wing of the plane. I slide down into the mud. I've only got one shoe on. That's very important. And I run to this clearing of trees and the plane catches on fire. And I see the other one pilot carrying the other pilot out. And I'm thinking, how did I get out of the plane? I still don't know. I'll know in heaven. And at that moment, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, everything has changed. And there was a rescue and there was... I walked away from that, the hospital doctor would say, with a very bad bruise. And the next day when I would return to the airplane crash, the, the agent who was taking the report of the plane crash, we kind of worked both sides at that time. So it would be kind of shoved under the rug, asked where I was seated. And I said, here, I'm seated in this seat. I know I sit in the same seat all the time in this type of plane. And he said, there's no absolute way. He walks me over to the plane. And he says, if you were sitting in that plane, you would be dead. It would be a miracle. And I look down and I, I see my shoe stuck <laughs> between a tree and what's left of some of the wreckage of the plane. And I pull it out and I look at him and I go, this is my shoe. I, I'm a miracle. And I walk away and I, and I say to people all the time, like, if this was a movie, you know, you'd flash forward six months and everything would be great. And you'd see her, she'd have this amazing job and family and all of this stuff. But life isn't a movie. And you have to live out the moments between the scenes. And so I had to return to this life that I could not escape from. And it took, it would take a year for me to actually I was stalked. I was kidnapped. I was beaten. Like it would take a year for me to get free from the situation that I was living in, but everything had changed in that moment. And I just knew that no matter what, there was no going back. There was no going back. 
And today, all these years later, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor for crying out loud. It's so crazy. But I am such living proof that there is no lost cause. There is no place that God cannot reach. There is no darkness to dark. There is no person so messed up. I like to say I was a messy person. I think we all have messy people in our lives that we we love them. We just don't know what quite to do with them. And tough love feels tough and not like love. So all of these years, I've carried this, this idea, this belief, this, this core belief that there is no lost cause. There is no one beyond his reach, beyond the reach of his love. And he will literally reach into the cop, the, the fuselage of a stolen drug plane and take out someone who, had, I was so stubborn. I was so angry. I was like, God, whatever. I was in his face. And he will literally reach into that with his hand of love and completely change the game. I am an anti-statistic. No one would have ever bet on me based on who I was. I I would not have bet on me. So for that, that's been 30, over 30 years since that day. But I have, since that time, no matter what I'm doing, I, I, I have this core belief that there's no lost cause. And, you know, I eventually met my husband and there was a lot of healing that had to happen. I had to started to see myself as a daughter of a king. That was crazy. I had zero background for how to be a, a Christian woman, a Christian wife, a Christian mother. And so I had to learn all these things. And, and I don't know if this is the truth everywhere, but back in those days, there was a shortage of strong, confident female leaders to follow like and, and I know that I am I'm a very confident leader and finding mentors or finding women who could speak to that part of who I was was very interesting and so for many years um I, I've always stayed with the Lord my husband and I were 20 years youth pastors lay ministers and I always felt I was new inside that there that leadership gift was there and then I started traveling around in, in missions work and realizing that a good part, probably 70% of the, of the believing church and countries that are oppressed are women, but they are not allowed to embrace that leadership gift. And they're in situations that seem impossible. And again, I'm like, no, nothing's impossible. Let's, let's figure out what to do. So my life has been very much dedicated to, can I be the mentor that? I never had when I was young. And and that's somehow been a little bit of, like I like to say, it's been a little bit of the gas in my tank. And the Lord has been gracious to teach me and, and provide the wisdom that I needed to learn how to be a church member, um, a church leader, a servant, um, a, again, a daughter of the King. And so that's kind of been my journey. And it's um, God has been so faithful in the healing process because there's healing that needs to happen in order for you to embrace that. And in the process of of education and teaching and I'm a lover of his word. And I think that that helped. And now I think finally, a couple years ago, someone said, you, you know, because I speak around the world and, you know, you, you, you probably should write this down. Can you just write your story? And I said, yeah, I guess that's a great idea. 
And what would you call it? I said, I'd call it messed up because literally that, that all these years of a pastor, one of the number one things that I hear from people when they come and sit in my office is something in my life is messed up and I feel powerless to change it. And that could be their kid, that could be their husband, their marriage, their money, their family, their ministry, their their personal walk with Jesus. Something is messed up, and I feel powerless to change it. And so we called the book Messed Up. We talk about recalculating the direction of your life and finding your way forward. That's the subtitle. Because that moment in the plane was a massive recalculation. I was going one way, and then I was going another way. And... With that recalculation, heaven became my destiny, and now I've been walking that out ever since. So the book came out last year, and it was written for the purpose. It's about 100 pages. It's, it was written at a sixth grade level. It was written for the messy person, <laughs> and anyone can pick it up, read it, and finish it. It's written. It's being sewed into restorative ministries. I wrote it to sew, not necessarily to sew, but you can buy it, and I think the... Um, one of the biggest blessings that have come out of the book, which is the surprise, because I knew that it would minister to people who felt very messy. But one of the biggest blessings has been that people who have messy people in their lives have found such hope. They're like, oh my gosh, I feel the freedom to love this messy person. And, and reading through my thought process back then has been really helpful to them because it's given them points of grace to kind of land on with people, you know, Oh my gosh, I never realized that that's actually what you were thinking when you were in that position. And so that's been actually the surprise of the book and kind of an added blessing. So yeah, that's, that's, it's kind of my story. I, again, I'm part of the varsity team. I, I, our church is a very young church. The demographic is really super young. So probably half of my staff are under 27. And I often say to them, like, I, I, they call me Mama Julie. And I'm like, I believe in you guys so much, but I honestly have three impossible things that I still want to do. <laughs> and they're so helpful and wonderful. <laughs> like, help me understand that I use YouTube, like things like that. And so I love the intergenerational collaboration. And I'm, I'm excited about what the Lord has in the next season of my life. And um, I'm, we have a succession plan right now for my role as executive pastor. And it's a very hard thing for all of us because I've been in this church for 18 years. It's a very hard thing for all of us to think about or talk about, but it's happening. And in the next year to two years, I will go full time. And just imagining a world where young women, no matter where they live, are walking in the fullness of the calling that God has put on their life to be influencers in their area. And that's the world I imagine. So as long as I can get on an airplane, <laughs> I, I think I'll be, I'll be doing this. Mm. Wow. So much. <laughs> you just went through so much in such a short amount of time. And I think I have so many questions, but I would like to focus in on one thing I've been thinking about a bit. I looked into your book, obviously, um, before talking to you. And I think up in the front somewhere, maybe in the introduction or just on the front page or something, it has um, the phrase, God has not changed his mind about you. I, I think that's it. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And that is really interesting to me, both in the context of somebody who might feel like they've just messed up so much that God has 
given mm-hmm. up on them or for the one who has just found themselves in sort of these stuck circumstances. And I'm sure you've experienced kind of both of those. Um, but this is it's such a powerful reminder. God has not changed his mind about you. When, when did you start thinking in that, in that kind of term? Is that something that you ever thought about before the moment when you met Christ? Or is it something in retrospect that you saw in yourself kind of internalizing? Yeah, great question. I think for me personally, I don't, I don't know that before I met Christ, that was, that was a thought because I did not actually grow up with that, that consciousness of, we had some religion that was more cultural than, than personal. And, and so I don't, I I never saw that context, but after accepting Jesus and because of the work that I do, realizing that when I was feeling a little like an imposter, because if you read my bio, you're like, what, what, what are you doing? You know, you can't te- I never went to college. You know, I just, when I start feeling like an imposter, like, Oh gosh, I should have done that. I should have done that. I probably messed up. You know, I made some mistakes. And now because I made some mistakes, because I came into the kingdom of heaven, riding on the airplane of a big mistake, I just remember the thing that ministered to me so much was right out of Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And there's a calling and an appointing involved with that scripture. And it was like, before you were one cell, you were an inspiration in the heart of the Father. And then I tie that to Psalm 139. It says, I knit you together in your mother's womb. Behold, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I think before he formed me, he knew who I was. And then he created me to be that. Therefore, nothing that I do can impact the inspiration that I am in the heart of God. And this is why God can never and will never change his mind about me. He will never change his mind about me. And and with that, I was able to then begin to walk confidently in, I think, the assignments that he has given me throughout my life, because God saw me as this leader. He saw me as carrying the, the giftings that I carry. And even though I had messed up and I hadn't gone to college and I didn't do seminary and I didn't, all of these things, God had never changed his mind about who I was. And I needed to lean in and see and find the truth of what he thought about me. And so when I sit with women who have said, like, you have zero idea what I've done. Like, knowing as a Christian, you have zero idea what I still did. You have zero idea how bad my marriage is. You have zero idea. I just think I, I don't need to because I know God will never change. And leave it at that. And so, yeah, that's been super helpful. It's probably one of the most compelling reasons why the, the I think the kind of niche ministry that I have, it, that I'm driven towards it, because I believe that was on my heart. Mm. Now, I'm really interested now, you talk about assignments and how God has, has placed us in these um, arenas and with, with particular design in mind. Um, but before I get into that, because you mentioned life is not a movie and you went through this time of healing, I'm really interested to hear about that period in your life. And if you can, you know, zoom in on any um, particular moment that comes to mind, how would you describe one of those periods or one of those moments within that healing period between 
when you knew in your heart that you were saved and you were reconciled with Christ and, you know, the next mountaintop moment, what what was one of those moments like where you were just in the in-between and still healing, still finding your way um, toward what God had for you? Gosh, there was a lot of those. I mean, I mean, the obvious is the year of finally leaving, right? I, I had to finally leave the relationship that I was in and walk away with nothing. I left every single thing I owned. And that was a hard thing, you know, for the, for the sake of Christ. But I think one of the one of the mountaintop moments for me was I, I really believe meeting my husband. So, so I had known this pastor that was, he would walk by to teach aerobics at this gym in a men's club in front of a bar. This is who I was back then. And for years he would walk in and, Hey, Julie knew me by name. And, you know, you come into church and I'd be laughing. I'm like, your church will fall down if I ever walked in. After the the plane crash, and I'm trying to figure out what happened in that plane, right? I I end up walking it. I'm thinking I just got to do the next thing. I I got to walk into this guy's church because I I feel like he knows who I am in in the like not so great me sense, and he still wants me to come to his church. So I, I feel like he's probably safe. So I walked into his church and we began that healing process and the process of rescue because he had to walk me through that year of rescue, being stopped, of being pursued. And in the process, he um, asks me to find a place to work, to serve. And that ended up being junior high, which I met my husband, walked in the door to my husband. But I think the struggle in that was just carrying this shame and guilt from the past and the stalker. Cause my husband literally met me when I was talked by this crazy man. And we were friends, like we were friends at first. And, and he knew from the beginning, the Lord had told him, this is, she's going to be amazing. If someone would love her, if someone would just really love her. And so he knew the moment that he met me, but he had to wait. He had to wait because there was a road that I was on and I think for me, one of the mountaintop moments was when I finally one day was able to say, you know what, this guy's a youth pastor. He's a really amazing guy. And I know he likes me. And if, if Mike Schacker would ever even consider me being his wife, I'll do the smartest thing that I ever did in my life and say yes. And that day came. And so I think that was one of the, it was so much, it was not even, I mean, yes, I was receive, I was telling the Lord that I would receive Mike. But what I was really saying is that I'm worthy. Like I'm I'm realizing that I'm worthy of him, of his love, of a really great guy. He'd been fasting for four years and had never dated. And then I come walking in with the drug mafia following me and a kid in tow. It's a crazy story. And then we stand at this altar with the pastor from the gym just smiling from ear to ear and just like Julie you you realize that you're so worthy of love and I think that was the next mountaintop moment and then here we go you know we just I still can't ever talk about it without great affection and tears because the just that receiving of of God's worth into your heart it's like that that was just amazing 
And again, it's another one of those redemptive moments, but we have to receive it. Right. There's there's a there's a chapter in the book where I talk about you're not the plus one at the party. You have your own limitation. <laughs> it's like I'm not a plus one. Like I actually have my own invitation at this party that God is throwing. So yeah, I think that was one. That is such a sweet picture. Um, just you know, even of a relationship with Christ, and obviously that's a it's a big one even in Scripture. And just to hear how you were trying to move through this shame and this guilt, but eventually to get to that point, it culminated such a, such a sweet, cute way too. Um, yeah. I love yeah. to hear that. Um, now moving ahead a little bit to, um, something mm-hmm. I wanted to get to, mm-hmm. this is both, I guess what you were saying is kind of your assignment, your passion right now. Um, and also you in the process of carrying this out are communicating to other women that they have an assignment, they have a purpose and they have a place that God has given them. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit about your sure. work with that? Sure. Our NAS Summit. So I love to talk about this. I think, so part part of our NAS Summit team, part of it was born out of this, like, I know I'm a leader, but there's no one around that I see that can help me. And so I went into the marketplace and had great success as a leader. I was in marketing sales, international marketing sales, just awards in marketing and I found I found a place there, but I kept thinking, like, why can't I be this in the church? Where are the women that can help me understand how to do this? Yeah. So some of it is born out of that. Some of it was born out of some work that I was doing in the area of child trafficking, little child trafficking. So in, in different places in Asia. And I remember thinking that in one particular case, we were we were trying to rescue a little girl, six years old in a AIDS village that was being, she was the village prostitute. And I remember finding it so interesting that the entire village allowed it. But as I came in and began, we began the process of rescue, there was worth assigned to her and so, and value assigned to her. And so the whole village began to change the way that they treated her. And I remember thinking that part of, and wondering like, how do, how do sometimes they people sell their children? Because the truth is, the families sometimes sell these little girls into to the people who are going to take them to work in a restaurant somewhere. But we know what goes on. And part of it is that they don't value their lives. They don't see a value for who they are in their village and in their in their you know, local areas because women's leadership and influence is not valued. So it's easy to say, well, yeah, sure. I'll take $35 and she can go, maybe she can meet, you know, a Westerner and get married and, you know, and that'll make a difference for our family. And I believe that the, one of the root causes of the selling of children is sometimes the lack of value. Women, little girls are not sent to school or they are until they're needed at home. In many areas, and so there's just no no value for who what they contribute to a community outside of the basics, and anyone can do that. So that coupled with my there is no role models, and I just began to think like, what if there was a way we could um, teach women's leadership in a way that's culturally relevant? Because in some of the places where I go in, I actually can't even say the names of the countries. Um, you're you die for your acceptance of the gospel and heaven help you if you think you're a leader or you want to speak or you want an education or you come home. So, so we have to 
teach this in ways that are culturally relevant. And then we work on the on the other side with church leaders and city officials to talk about stewardship. How are you stewarding the gifts of the females that are in your church? And so that's kind of the way that we approach it. And that seems to be a good conversation. And in some of, like I go into countries that are less than 1% Christian and that are very, very violent to the gospel. And God has given us wisdom and how we present the value of women in our midst. And so, and we do these super fun conferences where we dance and we do all stuff with the women and we just release leadership. And I'm going to tell a really great story about this in just a second, but, um, but we just started it with one idea and I gathered some of the women, I called them my generals that I know from around the country. And I'm like, Hey, you, you walk with her for a long time. You're a general join my team. Let's go to this particular country and let's do women's conference on leadership. And then I'm going to have some meetings with their church leaders and it just, it just took off. And now we have invitations coming in from all over the world. Please come. The challenge is those invitations are coming from countries that have zero money. And so now it's like, okay, how can we get the money to go in and do this? And then women start saying, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And I'm like, okay, but first, let, let's talk about your, we, we teach value, but your value as a daughter of God, your individual unique voice, and the influence that you walk in, in your particular area. And so um, we want our women, no matter where they are, to understand that right now, that's why we call it now, right now, you are a woman of influence. Every woman is a woman of influence right now. And so now we've got people saying, okay, so train me. Can I join the team? And so that's kind of how the nonprofit is starting, which, you know, leads me full circle to uh, starting it. You know, we're, we're just going with it. Um, I have a really great story. We were in um, a country this year. I honestly don't even know how Westerners are not even supposed to be there. And in this country, women are never supposed to speak to men, never supposed to speak on a stage. I mean, I was, I was speaking with their guns on the rooftops pointed in two armed guards. It is just crazy. It's one of these places. Right. And so we do this women's conference and I travel with my assistant who is, the most amazing young woman, powerful. She's like 29 years old, absolutely amazing. She's going to take over the world. And she's, we finished, like we're, we're at like lunchtime and this young woman comes up to her. And she was in the front row and we could see her. She was so engaged. We knew she spoke English. And she says to Haley, she said, she's just crying. And she says, you know, from the time I was a little girl, I was raised in a convent. So I know, I knew God. And from the time I was a little girl, I knew that God had called me to the nations. But until today, I had never seen a woman doing it. But now I have seen you. And I know that I can do this. And we were just, we're all bawling. We're praying for her. Because you don't realize that there are places on this earth where young women have never seen the things that God has put them in their heart to do. Like you are a leader, like you have a heart for the nations, but women are not allowed to come in and do these things. And so God is opening doors and we're walking through them. And my poor husband is like, can you, can you pick a safe place to go? Can you, <laughs> just like, can you do something safe? 
I just go and God opens the doors, you know, and he, he says yes to those things. Like I'm always like, we have to be in agreement. And there are places where the, where, where Mike will say, not yet. Or I, I just, I just not, I'm not feeling that. And I, I definitely, man, I put the brakes on and we wait, we wait. And um, yeah. And so he gets, he gets that last say, but that story it'll be one of the stories I tell for the rest of my life because she knew it was in her heart, but now she's seen you. I mean, it's the same thing with you, Alicia, right? There's women just like you in all these other countries, but you're doing this and she's known she can, but now she's seen you. And so she knows it's possible. And it's the power of possibility when we just step out in obedience and do what God calls us to do is it's just crazy. It's like wildfire. So I am, um, yeah, I'm moving forward with great strength and, you know, I take a lot of books in my suitcase cause I still do story time every day <laughs> with my grandchildren. So uh, like, here's Nana, I am in this country. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So it's, yeah. It's what a, wonderful. what a great story and what a great ministry that is. That sounds so incredible. And even just listening to you share about that is like hyping me up. I'm like, wow. <laughs> God really, God is really moving. And, you know, it's evident from the things you say and the way you say them, how close you are with the Lord and how in tune you are with His purposes and His will. Um, But I I think I would like to wrap up just our last few minutes talking about your personal relationship with God. I mean, it's evident from from your life and from the story that you have, but I would love to just hear straight from the heart what your relationship with God looks like day in and day out. How do you how do you commune with Him? How do you fellowship with the Lord and stay close to Him? Sure, thank you for saying that and asking. Um, so the Word has always been a huge, huge part of my life. The Word has been easy for me. I love it. I love, I used to have, in my younger days, I used to have to set a timer to stop because I had to do other things. And so for years I studied the word. I took every class I could take as a lay minister. And so that that's something that compels me every day. But prayer was never a thing that was easy for me. That was something that I really had to, I really had to press and I really had to pray through. And I really had to, to, to not in a bad sense, but work at, prayer. And so one of the things that has been a key for me has been being able to practice solitude and silence. So I don't know, it was probably 10 years ago or something where I just was like, gosh, you know, I, I, I'm praying, I'm trying to read my word and I'm, I, I try to be in a constant practicing of his presence and a constant dialogue with God, but that always felt like work. And so, I don't know, 10 or 11 years ago, I did an 18 month fast where I turned off everything, television, like I turned everything, my car radio off, worship music with words. And I just had instrumental worship, the word and just life. And I, I learned, and for me, because I'm a very drastic person, that's not prescriptive for anybody else, but Obviously, my testimony, it, it, everything seems drastic. And I learned the value of quiet. So there's no radio on in my car. I practice every day just sitting with the Lord in, in quietness, even if it's 
three minutes or four minutes or five minutes, or I'm leaving the office because the kids are so crazy. They're so energetic. And I sit in my car under this tree and I just sit quietly and I just invite the Lord to speak to me. And that has been so transformational in my life because I'm inviting, I want to hear from him. And I find that sometimes I do so clearly, and sometimes it's just a moment of peace. But my day looks like getting up at five in the morning because I'm old and I can't sleep past that anyways. It's not like a badge of honor. It's just like after 50, if you can sleep, (laughs) my eyes is open. I don't use an alarm. And I go downstairs and I read the word and I usually have just, you know, some, some quiet, silent time with the Lord and prayer. And then throughout the day, I try to at least once or twice, just turn it off for three or four minutes and, and allow the Lord, if he so chooses in those moments to really speak to me. And, and I think this secondly, our, our church is very known for its really free and like deep worship. And I am that woman who people go, what, what happened to her? Because from the moment I stepped off that plane, every single ounce of who I am has been his. And my husband always says, Julie, not a hundred percent is scary. And so I have like, just like, I worship with the band. <laughs> and then my world is very quiet. That's so, yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And even mm-hmm. just the, I mean, the simplicity of that two-way relationship, it's not, you know, spending crazy amounts of time, you know, you even said it was a little bit tiring and like work to try and have that continual dialogue, but to find those moments where you get away and just Mm -hmm. open up that two-way street and very, Mm -hmm. make that conscious decision to spend the time with him. I love that. And I, Mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's totally within reach for anyone. Um, It's not, you know, a super spiritual thing. It's just a relationship with a God who is always there, always ready (laughs) to receive. Yeah, I always imagine if I never stopped talking with my husband, would I really know him? Yeah. If I never just really, because he's very quiet, he's an engineer. If I never just sat quietly and gave him the time and the moments to speak what's on his heart, I, I would not know him. So I have to do that with the Lord as well. That is, that's a great point too. Um, yeah, there's so much more I could ask about, but I think we need to wrap it up here today. So I just, as we close, is there anything that uh, our community can be praying for you um, in your work, um, in your community and for your church? Mm-hmm. Sure. It will be praying for the now summit team. I believe that there's young women all over the world who they just know who they are and they're just waiting for someone to come along and show them, right? Be praying for the persecuted church, please. Um, it's an interesting time right now. And we have lots of people in prison. I have lots of friends in prison right now. And so be praying for that. Um, our church is a church of young people trying to figure out if they're deconstructing or reconstructing or somewhat constructing something. (laughs) And I love all of it. I love all of it. Let's talk about it. Um, So our church is, is there and we're a church of a bunch of young people who are amazing and wonderful and they're going to change the world. But man, the, the battle that the extrinsic pressure that they feel from society and community and all the, 
all this stuff um, wars against sometimes what they're who they're they're trying to be or they know they're supposed to be so yeah you could pray for our church in that way pray for the young people pray for pray for their strength that their strength would not fail them I don't think it will but that would be great yeah and I think I I would also just love for people to be praying for our varsity team there are so many people who are my age their grandmas and grandpas you might feel tired but I know that there's still three impossible things they need to do in their life. And I, I always pray that those things would be rekindled and, and that they would also be able to grace the next generation with the support that is needed for the vision that that generation carries. Mm-hmm. We have zero idea how to do it. So we can't actually instruct them on how to do it, but we can support who they are. In the same token, that next generation can help us with some of those impossible things that are in our heart. They want to. They want to be significant. So pray for the varsity team. They need to get back out on the field. (laughs) Yes. Back in the game. So that would be great. I'd appreciate that. Yes, that's awesome. I will definitely be praying for that and encouraging our listeners to pray as well. Thank you for listening to the Adorned Women podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then follow us on our Instagram for even more great content all week long. Our handle is at Adorned Women. You can also visit our website at www.adornedwomen.com. And of course, join us again next week as we connect with another sister in Christ and learn so much from her life of faith. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.